This is a crusade. This is a holy war against the deep state. Where are the dictators? Where are the strong men? Donald Trump is our instrument for retribution. I'm going to fight for Christians. I'm going to fight for white people. They have the Great Reset. We have the Great Awakening. And why shouldn't I root for Russia? Because Which I am. I want to see these people go through misery because of their grooming against our children. After the assailant entered the home asking, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? Those are the very same words used by the mob when they stormed the United States Capitol. I did nothing wrong. Welcome to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast, where we cut through the noise and help you make sense of the chaotic information space around us. I'm Griff Somke. Charlie Kirk and Turning Point USA have decided that it's time to cancel Martin Luther King Jr., as well as the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Needless to say, this is an absolutely terrible idea. Carl Folk from the Institute of Unreality joins me on this episode to discuss what could possibly be motivating this. Stick around. So here we are. Happy Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, Carl. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Seems like we better celebrate this one and not miss it, because if Charlie Kirk and TPUSA get their way, this might be the last one. Yeah. Yeah. Seems that is the trajectory we are on now. Mm-hmm. This is their big, big bugbear this month is Martin Luther King. It's, they've finally realized that maybe he's actually not a conservative, like they've been trying to pretend for the past decade or so. And now they've decided that because he's not a conservative, you know, he must be destroyed and the Civil Rights Act must be repealed. That's the part that they're actually kind of saying under their breath, but that's where we're really, really pointing this whole thing, then. Yeah. It's been interesting seeing people's reaction to Charlie Kirk more than like his actual tweet and what he's been saying. Because if, you know, you like myself and a whole host of others in the countering extremism world have been watching this kind of percolate mm -hmm. in different ways within his side of the conservative movement now. And seeing them go to the point where they're this open with it, I think, you know, ha it says a few things, not just that they're going for it, but also they feel pretty darn comfortable that there isn't going to be any kind of pushback um, oh, yeah. at a level that could actually be harmful to them mm -hmm. about it. And then seeing how people have reacted to it, people aren't taking seriously that this is a, a very real threat they're putting out there now it's not just them doing the well we're gonna bluster about it right kind of threat and they're blustering but keep in mind also that charlie kirk is now a huge player in gop politics this is a guy who runs the big america fest conference every year this is a guy who's got the ear of you know the bannons and the the mercers and the Cokes, he's got money coming in from all of these various sources. And exactly. he's a guy that, quote unquote, mainstream GOP politicians, although that's a dying breed these days, are finding themselves having to appease in order to make it to that next level. So if Charlie says Civil Rights Act is on the table, let's get rid of it. You're going to see a lot more of this. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, the guys who are still somewhat fringe in the public's eye, like Jack Posobiec and others, I mean, this has been kind of their stated end goal, mm -hmm. right? Was not just anti-LGBTQ work, not just anti-democratic work, but truly, you know, their, their shining jewel was the Civil Rights Act and desegregation, right? And this right. is one of the strains of kind of, you know, American 
reactionary politics forever, right? Like right. this is this is deep. Um oh very deep. This goes back. Th- this is the this is the second clan, right? Like mm-hmm. the second clan, their whole thing, you know, was basically this, but in the 1920s form, and then the 1930s form, then the 1940s form, and it's rehashed itself, you know, every decade, kind of as things move forward. But once you get to the civil rights era, that was the era of multiple church bombings, of the assassination of you know students who were going to help to try and get the civil rights movement passed. It was Bull Connor, it was dogs, it was fire hoses, it was Birmingham. Yeah, it was Phyllis Shafley. It was the people who mainstreamed the Bircher side of the conservative movement into the Republican Party in California in the 60s and 70s. Right. I mean, this is a deep part of the white reaction to perceptions of minority power. And they hate it. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit about specifically what the Civil Rights Act of 1964 is, because they hate it. And let's let's explain exactly what these people hate. This is from the Department of Labor's site. In 1964, Congress passed Public Law 8832. The Civil Rights Act of 1964 prohibits discrimination on the basis of race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. Provisions of this Civil Rights Act forbade discrimination on the basis of sex as well as race in hiring, promoting, and firing. The act prohibited discrimination in public accommodations and federally funded programs. It also strengthened the enforcement of voting rights and the desegregation of schools. This is the end of Jim Crow. Yes. This was where they had stopped saying it was okay to have separate but equal. This is where Plessy versus Ferguson was finally put to bed. This is where all the various little legal loopholes that these people had to make their discrimination legal, things like the poll taxes, these things were all out at that point. Yes. And the Civil Rights Act of 1964 is what did that. So this was... I think an unequivocal good because all of a sudden everybody in this country in theory must be treated equally. You can't discriminate against people on the basis of where you're from, what you look like, you know, what religion you are. And this is what your Jack Posobiec's, your Charlie Kirk's, your Tucker Carlson's, all of these people have been essentially complaining about ever since. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, very similar to Roe versus Wade, it encapsulated a lot more than just singular acts right that that did certain things like desegregate or change how we counted people for the census within cities and things like that it it does all of these other like you said kind of stopping holes in the dam yeah and a lot of those have to do with race and ethnicity but there are a lot also that have to do with how we interpret the law as cities as states as municipalities and obviously there were other things that happened after that, whether that was redlining or whatever, or the, you know, the, the NRP and things like that. But those things have been much less impactful than they would have been pri- you know, prior to Jim Crow being repealed. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that people kind of misunderstood about Roe versus Wade, and they are with this as well, where it's not just one law. It's not no. just school integration. It's not just voting rights. It's not just the end of Jim Crow. It's effectively multiple parts of something that stops almost any ability for the 
state and federal government to discriminate in the way that they were right up until the minute it was passed. Right. And you hear a guy like Charlie Kirk talk about it, and this is where America went off the rails. I'm going to quote really briefly because there's a Wired magazine story that just actually came out about this. Kirk argues that the Civil Rights Act, which bars discrimination on the basis of race, ushered in a, quote, permanent DEI-type bureaucracy, referring to diversity, equity, and inclusion. He illustrated how the law has gone wrong when responding to a question from a student who says they became the subject of a Title IX investigation after posting an Instagram story mocking transgender people. Title IX, which was passed as part of the Education Amendments of 1972, banned schools that receive federal funding from discriminating on the basis of sex. King was assassinated four years prior in 1968. So here we go. This is these people's little crusade for the last couple of years against trans people, against DEI. They've built that as a boogeyman in their bases' heads, and now they're using it to go after the equal rights of women. Exactly. Well, and anytime, I mean, diversity, right, is such a white power dog whistle Mm -hmm. in these circles that, you know, for me, when I first saw Kirk's comment, I, you know, I had that moment of just like, well, they're going for it, but also then waited for the diversity conversation to happen mm-hmm. because those two exist in a tied together manner in the white power and Bircher style world that these are coming from. And DEI and CRT are just modern iterations of kind of the dog whistle, right? For mm-hmm. diversity. And these groups have always seen diversity as a weakness, whereas every, you know, for the most part, the federal government and then those supporting the civil rights movement saw diversity as strength, right? Right. You know, basically everybody who doesn't have their head up their ass about this stuff, it's not something that we should be ashamed of or act like is some kind of a weakness. It's, you know, you're basically now saying that when it comes to gender, half the population now has all the same rights as the other half. Exactly. You want to throw 50% of the population out because of this. It's like, you're not thinking. You just aren't. This is no way to run a society. Exactly. And I mean, we see and say a lot about minoritarian rule, right, Mm -hmm. from the far right. But this is a really good example of how it starts with the broader group and moves towards the most marginalized. Right. Right. And, you know, with Kirk and with Posobiec and them, their main goal in some ways isn't necessarily to succeed at getting the civil rights movement to be forgotten. What they're trying to do is mainstream these ideas as well as attempt to get it removed, right? So like when you're dealing with something like that, I think it's really important for people to remember exactly what you said, right? Like this is a strength. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's not something to be even antsy about. Because the reality is the game is to split people off and make people uncomfortable talking about it in a way that it hasn't been. Yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about here. And it's a way to, as these people are constantly doing, move the Overton window. They want to take something. I mean, you look at a guy like Charlie Kirk, who was a relative, like mainstream kind of conservative a few years back to the point where his website they were selling MLK shirts with the quote about the famous one, the conservatives love about the content of a man's character is worth more than the color of his skin. Right. You know, MLK, the anti-liberal and they have now gotten to the point where no, he was a bad guy. So we're, we're going to go ahead and cancel everything related to him. But this is a case of 
they've taken stuff that was very fringe a few years ago, very like almost Stormfront-esque talking points, and turned it into, well, now everybody on the not even quite as extreme right is expected to bow to this. Absolutely. And I mean, it's what we, you know, a lot of us have kind of warned against and been concerned about in the anti-CRT and anti-DEI talks that Rufo had Mm -hmm. and continues to have, because they all logically lead to this place within that far right milieu, for lack of a better word, right? Like even because we're dealing with a pan right movement, no enemy to the right, Mm-hmm. For these people, you know, they're able to pick bits and pieces, strains of, you know, the American far right and neo reactionary and all these different movements. And it's allowed them to go from everyone kind of not understanding that this is a very real threat to everyone understanding it's a real threat, but doing nothing to actually counter it right. at any real level. And that is such a dangerous place for us to be at in context of this conversation about the Civil Rights Act. Totally. Because for me, I mean, I'm getting flashbacks of a year and a half before Roe fell, Mm -hmm. where people are saying that's impossible. It can't happen. Even if the Supreme Court does it, there'll be big enough pushback to make sure that it's never effective. And that's just not the case. No. You know, when you're dealing with post-truth, post reality propagandists yeah you know anything you do can and probably will be used against you Mm -hmm. (laughs) and can we also mention that you're dealing with a six to three supreme court well exactly that's going to potentially see it any way that charlie kirk and his ilk want them to see it yeah well and that's the other part right like the the thing about this conversation that i think is being missed overall and ties exactly to that is the power portion yeah that mlk really was against and really spoke against right it wasn't just a race thing it was a structure of power in society conversation and a lot of people talk about the revolutionary stance that he held but don't talk about the fact that it was revolutionary because it was taking on the power structures that Mm -hmm. now people like kirk and posobiec and the supreme court even right have at its core, which is a power and domination and white supremacy facet that's so incredibly deep in their mindset that, you know, the the revolution against that is the scary one Mm -hmm. for these people. And the other thing that this has done is it's allowed them to bring back people who have just some of the most trash dog shit takes on all of this stuff. (laughs) And it's brought them back almost more into the mainstream. I'm thinking of Charlie Kirk announced the other day on his thought crime podcast that he was bringing in a new director of Martin Luther King history. And that's a guy by the name of Blake Neff. And if that guy sounds familiar, the reason he sounds familiar is because he used to be a writer on the Tucker Carlson show at one point, and he was fired for, this is from CNN, the top writer for Fox News host Tucker Carlson has for years been using a pseudonym to post bigoted remarks on an online forum that is a hotbed for racist, sexist, and other offensive content. CNN Business has learned. Just this week, the writer Blake Neff responded to a thread started by another user in 2018 with the subject line, would you let a jet black Congo 
word we're not saying, do LASIK eye surgery on you for 50% off. Neff wrote, I wouldn't get LASIK from an Asian for free, so no. The subject line was not censored on the forum. On June 5th, Neff wrote, black dudes staying inside playing Call of Duty is one of the, probably one of the biggest factors keeping crime down. On June 24th, Neff commented, honestly, given how tired black people always claim to be, maybe the real crisis is their lack of sleep. And on June 26th, Neff wrote, the only people who care about changing the name of the NFL's Washington Redskins are white libs and their university-educated pets. And it gets worse. This guy has a list of stuff that he said over the years that make it clear that this dude has no love whatsoever for black people, for people of color, for Asian people, for pretty much anybody who isn't a white male. So, right. I mean, this is a, you know, he's been kind of clearly outlined as a, as a white nationalist mm -hmm. slash white supremacist slash neo reactionary or fascist. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's just it. I mean, you know, there's a level of trolling going on with Charlie Kirk's appointment mm -hmm. of someone like Blake to, you know, that position. But also, it's allowing this massive push into traditionally Republican spaces mm -hmm. by known alt-right, American new right, and, you know, neo-fascist right. actors. And Neff... <laughs> <laughs> Some of the stuff he's written, I mean, is as hard as anything you would have read from, you know, David Duke. Right. I mean, making Blake Neff your director of MLK history is akin to making Nick Fuentes your director of Holocaust education. Right. Okay. It's the same damn thing. He has every yep. bit as much hate in his heart as Nick does. And yeah. he's somebody you hadn't heard of until you did. He's just some guy who thought, hey, I'm going to post all this cool stuff on this forum. And the next thing you know, you're like wait a minute, this guy's writing material for the number one show on cable TV. Exactly. Not anymore, it, thankfully. But Well, <laughs> funny enough, that guy no longer has a TV show at all. Weird. Beyond his little X, uh, X platform deal. Uh-huh. And as he said, as Blake Neff said, quoted in CNN, anything Carlson is reading off the teleprompter, the first draft was written by me. Yep. So you're getting all of these people who watch Tucker, who think he's great, this stuff is all being filtered through a very white supremacist lens. Yes, absolutely. There's no question. And I mean, that's the lensing that's been going on across the right over the Trump presidency, but especially after, is all of the conversations we're having that are being driven by MAGA or Trump or people like Rufo. This is a world that has been filtered through multiple layers of differing forms of white supremacy neo-reactionary thought, alt-right thought, and increasingly open fascist thought. And that's the part where I think people need to understand you're seeing something that is very much the product of neo-fascist reactionary thought. Mm -hmm. And it's been mainstreamed to the point where we're not even having that broader conversation, right? That a lot of the, the mainstream media right now, The Atlantic today you know, ran an article with a headline, why we should all go to Trump rally. Right. This stuff is getting filtered <laughs> through uh, such bizarre lenses that now you have centrists and moderates doing what they do best, which is not understanding and then forcefully committing to not understanding. Yeah. I mean, 
What are you going to see on a Trump rally in person that you're not going to see being able to watch this online or on TV or whatever? What? Why? What's What's the logic here? So what they say is you should go to a Trump rally. For many Americans, the former president has become an abstraction. They should see for themselves what his campaign is really all about. <laughs> okay. Exactly. This isn't new. I mean, we've all seen what his campaign rallies are about. He's doing the same thing, except slightly less coherent, yeah. and it's more grifty than it was in 2016, but not much has changed. Less coherent, more violent, and somehow more racist. Right. It's like, this isn't really all that different than what a lot of us saw that made us say, hell no, we're going to do everything we can to stop this. Well, exactly. And I mean, this is the part, I think, you know, with Kirk and them, they've always said this stuff. Sometimes it was absolutely much more dog whistly, right? Now we're just at megaphone level. But the real, you know, the danger that, I mean, we're talking about today is exactly this Atlantic article, right? It's this mainstreaming of, well, it's not the thing you think it is. You should try it out anyways. <sighs> and Kirk and Posobiec want that to be the way that the Atlantic, the Washington Post, all these other things frame it, right? Like they want this to be a both sides nonsense argument against the Civil Rights Act. Yeah. And isn't this just a continuation of all of these guys like just absolutely hollering whenever they get suspended from a social media platform and saying, well, you're censoring me. You're not letting me speak. It's like, well, at some point we've heard enough. At some point we've heard enough of your shit and we don't need to listen anymore because we know what you are. Well, exactly. And I mean, you know, up until recently, we've had some pretty solid norms for what we accept and don't accept as a society, mm -hmm. whether that's online or in person. And those have been, I mean, really swept away in the last, I mean, even since the end of Trump's presidency, you know, we've seen those kind of turn on their head because of the way the media has framed this, because of how some of the attacks against those, you know, more progressive elements or right. hard left elements that were fighting against it have worked out. And the danger of the current moment, in my mind, is the coming together of this kind of weaponized narrative, the bad history that is existing right now that's being rehashed by major news, and then news media that's completely collapsed under the weight of, you know, kind of oligarchical intent, right? And that's the danger in my mind is not that people aren't willing to fight this back, but it's that they don't even know where to start. To some extent. Where where or how to start, exactly. Because they've been inundated. And it's crazy to me that you will see that a lot of big media companies, people who, you know, write this stuff, they profit on this stuff, they've gotten rid of things like their podcasts going into an election year. Well, yeah. And I mean the WAPO's gotten rid of their entire like society pages, mm -hmm. right? And their their small town well, not small town. Everything that happens outside the beltway, basically. Exactly. Their social news side. And we're seeing that kind of across the board. Right. You know, there's a mass movement away from traditional news media right now by traditional news media. It's like they've ceded that space to the Posobics and the Charlie Kirks of the world. This isn't good. No, no. And it, well, and it's, and it's something that's compounding, right? Like most people aren't going to notice the small changes, but uh, you know, six months from now, they're going to notice all those small changes added up to why am I getting pro Trump or neutral Trump coverage 
when he said X, Y, or Z. Yeah. Right. And it's the language of authoritarianism, right? Where people have ceded the rhetorical ground and the social ground to people who are going to weaponize it and say, well, we are the ones who have the true history of MLK. Right. But that true history, quote unquote, is being written by Blake Neff or some other white nationalist asshole. Exactly. It's like we just saw this with the New York Times and Chris Rufo. We just saw that this is a guy who was able to come up with an alternate history of how things worked, and he was able to get the quote-unquote paper of record in the United States to buy into it. And the more of that we see, the more dangerous I think that is for the electorate, for the democracy that we're trying to maintain here. Yeah. Well, and the further we move away from it, that's the part that like, I think everyone needs to remember is it's not necessarily, you know, oh, this is a shit take from a shit person, but also it's pushing away democracy from the paper of record, Mm -hmm. from those who are taking it for for real. And the goal is to put enough distance between democracy and the individual and the society to really walk in there and say, well, democracy is broken, so we should do this. Right. Because let's not forget, a lot of these people, they don't want democracy. No. Their end goal is not democracy, and they'll say that quite up front. What they want is some kind of reactionary fascist government where they're running it yeah and and most of them want some form of christian reactionary far-right government you know and others don't want any of that they just want to see it burn right and you know that distinction i don't know if that matters right now but it's all in the same boat and it's the same reason that i think so many people want there to be this foreign influence thing right because it looks so much like other anti-democratic states, whether it's Russia or whoever, because their goals are aligned, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's an anti-democratic movement and they have this multi-pronged approach, which is, you know, we may not succeed at this culture war item, but we've achieved a level of influence on the political consciousness that we ultimately are going to be able to push further. And, you know, I think about the second clan and how they really, I mean, they redefined what Americanness, quote unquote, is, right? And in doing that, they also redefined what un American was. Right. And that's what we're seeing with this, but in kind of a multi footed, multi pronged way. And that goes on to influence political culture massively. Oh, yeah. Right. Like, and and we're seeing it with the Posobiecs and the others, but down the road, this all ends in one direction, which isn't democracy for all. No, we can go back to that Steve Bannon quote that politics is downstream from culture. And that's exactly what he's talking about. The idea that like, if you can capture a chunk of the culture, if you can capture a chunk of what people are talking about, eventually that's going to end up in your politics. You see this in All the various congressional aides that are just these awful little Gen Z racists. But where did they get this? Every single one of them is a fascist. I know. Every Gen Z Republican is a Hitler youth. People are waking up to that and it's good in a way, but it's frightening to watch because they're like, wait a minute. You mean they're all little Nazis? Yep. Always have been. Yes. They just don't have their little trench knife. Mm -hmm. But you see that sort of play out from 
these kids who get into the influencers, who get into Nick Fuentes at a young age, and after three or four years of listening to that stuff, maybe they are taking a, you know, sorry, into politics. Maybe they are starting to volunteer for a campaign, and their political beliefs have all been shaped by these hardcore white supremacist ideas going into it. Yeah, and I mean, I think... You know, Bannon's a great example of kind of the true alt-right, mm-hmm. right? Anti-globalism, except for the far right, who needs to be a global movement. Right. Anti-non-Western civilization, let's say, right? And you have, prior to, to Trump's presidency, it was just kind of constellations of different groups. But now it's turned into one group that has turned that direction, right? right? And that's the part where especially with the younger generation, they've gotten the full dose of hard right alternate reality. Right. And they have for probably, you know, for years now. And it's really interesting seeing how they framed certain things as counterculture Mm -hmm. and how they've used some of the same conversation pieces, let's say, that like the second clan, for example, love to use, right? Which was like elites aren't, the wealth class elites are liberals who live in cities and are educated. It's the same thing you see with Rufo and these guys. Mm-hmm. It's all of this stuff. The anti-elitism turns into anti-Semitism really fast in these groups, all of this stuff. So we're starting to see this coagulation now where they're going to be much more open. And, you know, they, their goal may, might be, let's say to end the civil rights act, but their secondary goal is to get people thinking about it. Yeah, because when you can put those ideas out in the political sphere, you can get people to normalize the idea that people have conversations about it. Right. And a lot of these guys believe that like, by putting the idea out there, mm-hmm. right, that there's this, this far-right hyperstition, meme magic, whatever we want to call it, where if you put it out there, it makes it real, and then suddenly it becomes reality. And they've really... They've really pushed this idea to the edge, right? right? And like hyperstition as a conceptual and theoretical thing is really interesting. Uh-huh. The alt-right, though, has figured out how to take it from conceptual to an actual act. Yeah. Yeah. They have figured out, I mean, they're not calling it chaos magic, but they have figured out to some extent how to make some of these concepts um, the secret all of these visualization trips that people are on, they have figured out how to make this work in a political context. Absolutely. And that's exactly it. Like the secret thinking, get rich, you know, this whole thinking, I mean, it plays such a huge part in this. And it's why the Charlie Kirk comments stuck out to me so Mm -hmm. much is because this is kind of a classic case now of, well, we can make this reality if we talk about it enough. And if we seed these ideas into certain groups, that then push them forward into mainstream media. And I wouldn't be shocked on that front if we have Trump's Spocks having this conversation closer to the election, especially if it looks like they're going to do well. Yeah, that would not surprise me in the slightest. And that's a little terrifying right there to think about. Because I think that to some extent, that's what happened in 2016, was that they were able to just get in there with a certain idea and repeat it enough times in the right place. And next thing you know, you have spirit cooking. Next thing you know, you have Pizzagate. Yeah. I mean, the ghost in the machine in this this case is a Nazi. Yeah. And they're, they're cooking a digital Nazi machine. 
right? Like they are, instead of just spirit mm-hmm. fucking, they're literally digitally creating the environment that that's even possible in prior to them getting to that part. And the thing I find really interesting thinking about this is indulge me a little bit of off topic here. <laughs> Today is the Iowa caucuses. Yes. As we record this, they are caucusing in sub-zero weather in Iowa to decide who the Republican nominee for president is going to be. Right now, it looks like Donald Trump's going to walk away with this thing pretty big. Ah, yeah. The next person on the list is Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley has about 20% last poll I saw of the caucus goers that want her to be the person, except that's not really an accurate number because according to the Des Moines Register, the number of people who are voting for Nikki Haley who would not vote for Donald Trump, who would vote for Joe Biden if Nikki Haley was not the nominee, is about 50% of Nikki Haley's support. That sounds right. So there's still a chunk of people out there that are, in theory, Republicans. Some of these people are probably crossover voting. Yeah. But there's a chunk of these people that still think it can be saved somehow. Yeah. And I feel for those people because on the one hand, they're probably wrong when it comes to the GOP. They're going to lose that fight. But as it stands now, they still have some leverage. They can still tilt the balance here. And if you want to call it never Trump, you want to call it, you know, people who've, you know, woken up and seen it, whatever there is, just like there is a group in the GOP that will only vote for Donald Trump, there is a group in the GOP still that will not vote for him, but they still believe yeah. in the GOP. They're not going to become flaming liberals or anything like that overnight, but they don't no. want Trump. Well, yeah. Yeah. They understand the existential threat, right? Uh huh. Like- These people see what's going on with Trump, with the threats that he's making, with the idea that he says he's going to be a dictator on day one. They see Stephen Miller saying yesterday, we are deporting at noon on inauguration day. And they find themselves kind of thinking like, if we don't do this now, we're not going to get a shot. Yeah. We're not going to get the chance Mm -hmm. to actually do it. Yeah. You know, it's been interesting hearing political commentary the last couple of weeks as people kind of mull over this exact thing, mm-hmm. right? Because Haley, the thing that I think is concerning to me, but uh, in a different way than the Trump side is, you know, Haley, actually, if if she was the nominee, she'd probably win against Biden. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can see that. And, you know, Haley's no slouch when it comes to reactionary white supremacist politics. Oh, absolutely not. She isn't. The thing is, like, she is enough of a defense hawk. She is enough of an internationalist that so many of the Trump people want nothing to do with her and say they will actively yes. oppose her. So that to me is why yeah. Nikki Haley's not going to be the nominee because Tucker Carlson says you're not. No, absolutely not. And, and I mean, you know, feelings rule within the Republican Party, right? So you have kind of, you know, this, this, um, secondary vibes economy for lack of a better term (laughs) that is built around resentment about retribution around fear and paranoia i mean kind of the classic strains of american right-wing um paranoia all of that and trump is the only one that for whatever reason embodies that for this group Mm -hmm. and that is such a powerful force for the base It is. It absolutely is. And this is why there's so much of the base that isn't going anywhere else. 
Oh yeah, and never will. I mean, th- 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 this is going to be people sending leaflets into the jungles of Asia sixty years after the war. Yeah. You know, there are going to be true believers of Trump until I'm Trump's. Oh, absolutely. He's going to be the savior, the Messiah. And the question is, would you rather him do that from out of power or in power? Right. And if he's in power, people need to be very honest about what that means, which is like, you know, the end of the Civil Rights Act is a great example. I mean, that would go out the window. Mm -hmm. Obergfell, Lawrence. I mean, all of the things we can think of as progress from the end of the Second World War till now. Yeah. And most people who know, know that, right? Like most people who are opposed to Trump understand the threat he poses. But seeing how Kirk and some of the other misinformation purveyors like Posobiec are really going after this, you know, this tells me that day one, you know, there's not just going to be the dictator part, but there's also going to be a rash of executive orders that target everything from... DEI and CRT and schooling in general at the national level down to the Civil Rights Act. And they're kind of signaling their intent while also, like we said, trying to mainstream it. So it's been, you know, it's one of those ones where we've got a reactionary movement. We have a democratic movement that's increasingly becoming radicalized towards the right. And then we have this just absolutely toxic miasma of right-wing grievance, paranoia, whatever. And it's starting to really meld together in a way that, I mean, we probably haven't seen since the Civil Rights Act, right? Like, time period. And all of this stuff in a Trump administration is going to end up in front of a Supreme Court that, again, goes six to three in a very radical direction. Yeah. So... They'll get away with all of it. They'll get away with anything they want when it comes to this kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So for me, the idea that they are more capable of mainstreaming this stuff now, it just gets scarier to think about. Yeah. Well, and and them choosing this moment, I mean, there's a level of the alt-right irony and there's a level of the, well, we're just having a conversation. But like, I think people should understand that like, this was a choice and a very conscious one Mm -hmm. to do it around MLK day Oh yeah, to really hammer it in the way that they did. And then with Kirk, like, you know, bringing on a a white supremacist and a neo-fascist be like the head of MLK history for that group should really kind of outline the, the cynical nature of what this thing is. Right. I mean, are they trolling? Probably, but I mean, they're still trolling. Just because, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, yeah, just because they're trolling doesn't mean they're not trying to. It's just something. a joke, bro. I mean, we know how these right. people work. That got us a president, exactly. And if we're not careful, it could get us another one. It could get us a long-term president. Yeah, he's going to have multiple terms, however many he can possibly get. And again, it's always easier to stop these people at the ballot box, folks. It's always easier because everything after this gets really disturbing and dark. Well, and there are enough historical parallels that if people want to know what it looks like, go read about Chile during the dictatorship. Read about what happened to the liberals there Uh and how they thought they could win or survive by doing the right thing by the government. Yeah. And they didn't. No, they don't. Watch them cheer for Bukele down in El Salvador. Watch them cheer 
for this guy who is like, guess what? I'm going to be president again. I'm going to run for another term. Well, the Constitution says you can't. Well, fuck that. Who cares? Yeah. Constitution. (laughs) It's for for amateurs. Amateurs. Exactly. And that's just it, right? Like the thing that we've seen that you see in the data is like, you know, kind of autocracies of fear, right? right? Like Stalin, Paul, Pol Pot, whatever, have actually declined somewhat um, over the last 30 years. But the Trump autocracy, like the Republican autocracy that they're dreaming up, is equal parts digital authoritarian and equal parts fear authoritarian. And that's something wholly unique. And people really do need to understand like that, you know, we are at real risk as a democracy right now because our democracy is in backslide. Yeah. And it has been for a decade at least. A decade or more. Right. I might argue since, you know, the uh, Citizens United is when we could really start to say, you know, things started to slide fast. Uh huh. All of a sudden, money equals speech and corporations equal people. And oh, exactly. boy, have that not ever been a brilliant one. Yeah. Well, and it's been a little over 10 years, you know, since that happened. Right. And literally every part of this far right kind of assault on reason, truth, and reality has taken off since then because of it. And so, you know, it's interesting, especially with Kirk, um, seeing that dark money tie to explicit calls to end something like the civil rights. Right. And it's the people that can afford it, the people that have that kind of money, this is what they're spending their money on, and this is what you have to look at. Like, what does this benefit them? It obviously benefits them. Yeah. They wouldn't be doing this otherwise. So, yeah, there's a huge money component tied up in this in civil rights, right? Like, there's a huge, specifically for certain types of businesses, mm-hmm. they, they see a massive windfall because of some of the, you know, I mean, Title IX, for example. Right. <laughs> some businesses really think that's a hindrance. A lot of people are getting a salary cut overnight if that goes. Oh, yeah. I mean, and couple that with the end of row, I mean, you're going to probably see the end of, of credit cards for certain groups, uh-huh. the ability to hold certain bank account types, loans. P- people don't really realize how much of this is tied back and forth into this real hard right Christian libertarian business ethic. Right. But at some point, this will be coming around to company stores and company villages and we'll be back in that age. Exactly. I mean, it's a reversion to the pre-FDR era. Right. Because that's, I think, the real goal. It's not just to get rid of 1964. It's to get rid of, you know, the New Deal. Well, and that's, I mean, and a lot of these people would tell you that, Mm -hmm. right? That, like, the goal is to undo, quote, the tyranny of, of Roosevelt. Yeah. And that's the part where you start to see stark ties to things like the Birchers and the Second Clan. Because they were so opposed to this, you know... He's a communist. Mm-hmm. And it's like, guys, you also were calling Ike Eisenhower a communist. Oh, absolutely. Forgive me if I don't believe you on Yeah, the Supreme Allied Commander in Europe during World War II. Yeah, this is, this is a very hardened communist. hardline communist right there. Hardened communist. But that's just it. This is a group that has its roots. Charlie Kirk, I mean, you could draw direct lines backwards mm-hmm. to the Birchers, to to Reconstruction era stuff, to the 20s and the teens, you know, and the reactionary world that always seems to show up two years after mass attempts to get other people their rights. Chuck Johnson, 
once wrote a book <laughs> called Why Coolidge God. Matters. Uh, somehow I'm not shocked, <laughs> but I'm also angry. <laughs> uh-huh, it does. It does. This is where they want to go back to. And this is where they want to see if they can drag the Overton window back to so people will discuss this and that'll be something that people are going to be okay with and it's frightening yeah and and, well and they're and they're doing it quickly like when you actually think about how fast this has moved from the end of trump's presidency till Mm -hmm. now i mean it's, it's light speed changes to the way that we understand our history and reality yeah yeah and at this point all we can really do i think those of us who don't buy into this is be very aware of these things when they come up, be very aware that these are the buttons they're trying to push and understand that they absolutely mean it. Yeah. Take them at their word is the best thing I can say, right? Like when people like this, tell you their plans, believe Mm -hmm. them. The villains tell you the evil plans now and they think, Oh, you know, why is it a villain? Why am I this? No, no, sorry. You're doing it now. No, this is, yeah, this is, we're a Bond villain level monologues Uh from people like Chris Rufo and people still don't want to believe he's a villain. And so I think there's a level of just believing people, taking them at their word and also understanding as hard as this is, we can and will probably get through this without it going totally sideways. I think it's going to be ugly. Uh huh. No matter who wins the election, no matter what, this is going to be a shit show of a year. Yes. But I think democracy itself makes it through. I think, though, it's going to be the way that we as citizens who do give a shit react is going to be how it moves forward. And Biden has his own host of issues. <laughs> he does. And, you know, I think if we can get through the election, we can have the bigger, really important conversations that might actually shift things right. uh, window-wise away from just falling off the right-wing cliff. But that's where we are right now. We cannot have some yeah. of those conversations about those very legitimate issues that Joe Biden could do better on until we put the fire out. Yeah, no, we. It, this is exactly it, right? Like, we have a very large fire going right now. Mm-hmm. I can't worry about getting my PlayStation out of the fire for lack of a better thing, until we do that. And then we can have that conversation about what do we need to get to save? Right. What do we need to do to have the the larger conversation about race, about power? Money in American politics. Specifically money in both politics and the money we don't have as, as citizens. Right. And all the other huge conversations. And I think it's right to have those starting now. Mm-hmm. I'm not telling anyone don't do that or you know any of that. But I think that being able to balance the threat versus the the threat. And you have to ask yourself like, okay, so you have issues with this guy. We get it. I get it. No problem. Do you think anything is going to rectify those issues under a Trump administration? And do you think burn it all down is really actually going to happen? Or do you think it's going to be more like get in the camp? Well, right. No, well, it's exactly it. I've had this conversation as you mm-hmm. know, yeah, as you know, a number of times where it's just like, I don't think it's possible to get the revolution that would be needed out of allowing someone like Trump to take power. No. For one. For two, I don't think people have a, a, most people, some people definitely do, fundamentally don't understand what a real hard right autocracy looks like in action. Yeah. And we need to avoid that at all costs. We can do everything else we need to, both now and then. But if we don't do that, it it gets a lot harder to do anything. Absolutely does. So let's do it. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast. 
If you want to hear more, you can find us on the web at didnothingwrongpod.com. Please make sure you subscribe to get our content straight into your inbox. You can also follow us on Twitter at GrizzaBJJ, G-R-Z-A-B-J-J, as well as DNWPod. We're extremely grateful for paid subscriptions and donations that allow us to keep doing this important work. Thanks, and remember, everyone mentioned did nothing wrong. <laughs>